We're going to eventually look at Psalm 73 this morning, but I want to begin looking at uh, James chapter 1. I want us to think about the whole subject of pursuing pleasure. And I want us to get passionate about it. To do that, I think we've got to introduce it in such a way as that you, you understand you have permission. It's okay. It's something God wants us to do. Um, I know I've told you in the past, Scripture tells us that God does not always want us happy. There are times when uh, we go through trials. You saw a few weeks ago from Psalm 119, uh, beginning at verse 67, that affliction is good for us. Sometimes God sends us afflictions because it's going to help us. It's going to make us stronger. It's going to increase our um, ability to do things we couldn't learn to do apart from the affliction. We also looked that week at Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 5 through uh, 14, talks about God is a loving Father who chastens us. Loving fathers discipline us to keep us from bad stuff, correct us and move us towards holiness. Uh, that is, God said in Hebrews 12, says it's, that's not fun. A lot of times it's sorrowful. So there are times when God may take us through pain and sorrow and affliction for our good, but at the same time, there needs to be a pursuit by us for joy and happiness and pleasure. That's why I want you to see and begin with James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let the endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Another verse that says we're going to have trials. But I want you to remember that first phrase, consider it all joy. Maybe even stronger, pursue joy when you have various trials and tribulations and afflictions. God says, I'm going to bring you sorrow for a moment, for a time, for, the, for this affliction. But in the midst of that affliction, I don't want you to lose your pursuit, your consideration of, your need for joy. I want you to think about our need to pursue joy. Joy is, is something God builds into us, the, the need for it. The pursuit of it. It's an innate um, part of our being that we need joy. And we do pursue joy. We pursue joy naturally. Um, and I don't want you to stop that. I don't want you to think it's wrong to pursue joy. Uh, you pursue joy when you make choices. You know, you, you choose to, to get up this morning or not because it's going to make you happy. You choose to eat or not because these foods give us happiness and joy. You choose to get dressed or not because of your pleasure. We do certain things like that naturally, and I don't want you to, to, to miss that. It, there are people in the Christian church that teach, oh, no, 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 you should never pursue joy. You should never pursue pleasure because that's selfish. And they'll pick out verses like uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, which says, True love does not seek its own. 
It would be selfish for you to, to pursue yourself in any way. Or you might pick out a verse like 1 Corinthians 10, 31. says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Now, I want you to see pursuing joy is not in conflict with those verses at all. That the problem is not pursuing joy. The problem really is pursuing joy in all the wrong places. God says whether you eat or drink, meaning I want you to eat and I want you to drink, and you choose typically what you eat and what you drink because it satisfies you. Do that, but do it in such a way, in such a context, that it glorifies God. But you don't stop pursuing the pleasure of eating and drinking. And in the same way, in the whole context of love, don't love in such a way that you're ignoring others. The love needs to be in the boundaries that God has set for us, not in wrong places. Instead of pursuing love in all the wrong places, pursue love within the boundaries and context of God's Word. I'll give you another verse. You know this one. Matthew 19, 19 says, Love one another as what? Yourself. Now, there's not really a command there to love yourself. What's there is a responsibility for self-preservation. In the same way that you preserve yourself, you care about your existence, and you make choices every day for your existence. You choose to be satisfied with this food, this drink, this dress, this place, whatever. In the same way you do that, do that for others. But I want you to see from that verse, love others as you would yourself. There's this innate desire. God says, I designed you in such a way that you would naturally take care of yourself. You would love yourself to the degree of self-preservation. And you're going to make choices constantly. So realize that, recognize that, and pursue that because that's going to help you in glorifying God in all that you do. So I want you to think about God's design of us that we must pursue pleasure. When I was studying uh, 1 Corinthians 13, reading Jonathan Edwards, he came up with this back in 1738. So I, you know, I didn't figure it out. He did. And, and, I, and I read it from him. But he said, there's a sense in which you cannot pursue happiness and pleasure with too much intensity or too much zeal. And you definitely should not abandon the pursuit of pleasure. Because if you do so, how will you ever find ultimate satisfaction and happiness in God? If your goal in life is to be fully satisfied with God and glorify Him in that satisfaction, but you've abandoned the pursuit of satisfaction and happiness, you can't get there. You must see that this, this, this pursuit of happiness and joy should ultimately land you in this place of glorifying God, being satisfied and happy in Him. Again, you know, you, you know the, the classic phrase, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. The problem with many people is they're, they're looking for joy, they're looking for happiness, they're looking for satisfaction, but they're not finding it. They, they find that they, they miss it because they're not finding it in Christ. They're not finding their ultimate satisfaction in God. So then people start teaching, well, maybe you just quit looking for happiness. No, 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 no. 
You should pursue happiness, but pursue it in the right places. Pursue it within the bounds of God's law. Pursue it within the bounds of God's design for us. You know, we all agree that, that sex is pleasure. In marriage is where God says put it. When it's there, you get it in its fullest sense. Outside, it leads to disease and destruction. But it doesn't say stop pursuing the pleasures. The same thing with food. Food's pleasurable. Eating and drinking certain things bring us great delight. It doesn't say quit eating and drinking. Do it in such a way as to glorify God. Within the framework, within the design of the body God's given you, we're supposed to steward these bodies. So we eat and we drink so as to be a good steward and to glorify God and find all the joy and satisfaction that comes from doing so. So I want us to think through that a little bit this morning. And I hope it leaves you with a desire to pursue pleasure and happiness even more than you ever have, but in the right places, in God, in Christ, consistent with His Word, and leads you to a much more happy and satisfying life. Now, when I thought about this whole subject, one thing I couldn't escape is, is where I was really introduced to it. It's from the Westminster Divines. If you've ever read the Westminster Confession, about 120 um, theologians in the 1600s were put together by English Parliament to bring some peace and conformity to the, to the church government of that time. And these, these guys come up with a, West, a confession of faith, large and short of catechism, book, book of order, of order of worship, directory of worship. And that's where we get this, this, this famous catechetical uh, statement, what is the chief end of man? And with each statement they made, they tried to come up with Scripture proofs. This is what the Bible says is the answer to these questions. So what is the chief end of man? Chief end of man is to glorify God, and what's the second part? And enjoy Him forever. And we get the first part. But a lot of people say, I'm not sure I understand that last part, enjoy Him forever. And as I've, I've looked at that, what does it mean to enjoy God, to pursue the joy of God? I go back to the fathers of the faith, the Westminster divines, and say, what did they think it meant? They came up with the question. And what was their support for that question? And the scripture proof they gave for that passage is Psalm 73. That's what I want to expound for you this morning. Psalm 73 Verse 25 through 26. They said, The chief end of man is to glorify and enjoy God. And for enjoying God, they choose this. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, What I want you to see from this passage, four things, I've given them to you in an outline form. I want you to recognize a reality. I want you to develop a delight. I want you to pursue a preference and seek a support. Put it to you practically. Let's suppose you go to one of these fathers of the faith, somebody who's been around a while, great theologian, 
read through the Bible, they know it well. And you say, Pops, you're telling me I need to enjoy God. Sometimes God makes me mad. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure I can do that. Sometimes God, when I pray, He gives me rain when I ask for sun. And He gives me wet when I want it dry. And He gives me cold when I want it warm. And He gives me trouble when I wanted fun, I don't know that I can enjoy a God like that. And Papa says, son, pull up a stool. You need to recognize the reality. You need to develop a delight. You need to pursue a preference. And you need to seek a support. If you had that kind of relationship, you would pull up a stool and say to yourself, this is going to be good. Because this is going to get me where I need to get. And I want you to see that from this psalm. So let's look at it. Psalm 73, first word, stop right there. Whom? Whom? The psalmist is recognizing a reality that there is someone in heaven that is connected to him whom do I have in heaven and we need to recognize the significance of that when it comes to what he says afterwards and all the joy that he has I'm going to come back to the psalm later but let me just give you a quick summary it begins with envy look at verse 3 Psalm 73 verse 3 so that we get the context Verse 3 says, For I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Have you ever had that experience? Where you looked out at the people around you and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. Not only a Christian, I'm a pretty good one. Why is it those people out there who are not Christians and not maybe as good as me, why do they seem to have so much more fun? Simon says, I did that. I looked at them. They, they seemed to have more money. They had more possessions. They, they just have more fun, and they're so boastful. He says, I was envious of that. He says, that bothered me on the inside, basically. He goes through that for a while. Go to verse 17. He says, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived therein. And what he's saying there is, this churned in me, and it bothered me, and it bothered me until I got to church. And when I got to church, I realized that those who don't trust in Christ, who don't follow God's ways, I, I realized probably through the saints, through the preaching of the word, through people talking about the truth of what God does, I realized that non-Christians go to hell. That's their end. That they get destroyed. That they live in misery and agony for an eternity. He says, when I recognized that, it really helped my envy problem. Because I was envying people who are going to end up in misery. That doesn't make sense. He says, I, if I'm going to envy somebody, I ought to envy somebody that, that actually grows into more and more happiness and joy. And when he started seeing that, he says, where is ultimate joy? Where does that end up? It ends up in the glories of heaven. 
And that leads into, who do I have there that can secure that for me? Do you recognize that reality, that we have no one in heaven apart from God? We have no one who's created us apart from God. And how did he create us? He created us with this innate capacity and ability for joy. And because he's given us that, he wants us to have joy, and it ultimately finds its end and conclusion with him in heaven. If you miss that, you're going to miss ultimate joy. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Psalm 16. I love how it concludes, you know, uh, God, you lead me in the path of life. You lead me to the fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And I think the psalmist had some recognition of that. He says, God is the one with all the cards. He's the one with the fullness of pleasure. I can get a taste of pleasure on earth. My non-Christian friends can have a taste of pleasure. But pleasure in its fullness, pleasure in its conclusion, present, uh, pleasure in its ultimate fulfillment is only in God who designed it. He says, I want to go there. You need to recognize that connection. Who, who creates joy for you? Who, did, who created your body with the ability and the capacity for joy? Well, it's God. If he designed it, he knows how to give it to you, and he knows how to increase it. He knows how to give it to you in, in a fuller measure. If you don't recognize that, if you think you're creating your own joy, you're making all your own choices, and because of that, you're the, the ultimate in joy and satisfaction, You'll come to a conclusion where you say, my, my joy ran out. There's only misery and agony. The psalmist recognizes that he needs God for joy. You recognize that. You need him for that, Christian or non-Christian. You can't have joy apart from God. He's the source of joy. He's the fountain of joy. He's the creator of joy. He's the one who designed you with the ability and capacity for joy. You must have him. Augustine, saying that Augustine uh, used the term rest. He said it this way. He says, our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. He was dealing with the same principle when he said that, that we were designed as beings that need rest. But we're always anxious. We're always restless. If we were designed to rest in Christ, we will not find ultimate rest until we're in Christ. That's, that's, that's just a design thing. And the same is true for us. We will not find joy. If God designed our joy to ultimately lead us to Christ, we will not find ultimate satisfaction and pleasure unless we find it in Christ. Have you ever had uh, or given one of these uh, you know, electronic toys that uh, requires batteries? You know, maybe it's a toy car da, 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 that runs around. It'd be fun in here to do that. Well, you know, now when I, when I buy one of those things for somebody, you know, before you walk out of the store, what's the right question? Does it need batteries, right? And usually I ask that question to my wife. We're shopping. We get one of these, these toys. Does it need batteries? And she responds, oh, we got plenty of batteries at home, right? So we, we, we wrap it up. We've got plenty of batteries, you know, we're sure, and uh, give it to whoever, and they open the present. 
and said, hey, you know, Papa, put this thing together. Okay, and you, you open it, you turn the little screws on the back, you open the back, and you, then you realize it takes four C-size batteries. And you go to your junk drawer where all the batteries are, and you think, as you walk there, who designs these cars with C-size batteries? I've got D-size batteries. I got AA batteries. I got AAA batteries. But I bet I don't have any C-size batteries. And it takes four of them. Have you ever tried to make something fit? You know, you get the D-size. Well, let's do the D-size. And you get a little duct tape, duct tape those things on and put some, some wire on the, the, you know, the different ends and try to run to the right place, stick them there. And you say, oh, got a little buzz. Bzz, bzz. All right, all right, got the lights are coming on. You get it all wired up, sit it on the floor, then you don't have the height from the tires. Oh, man, the duct tape and the batteries are dragging. You need seaside batteries. Nothing else fits. And sadly, I think so many people, they're finding their joy in a duct-taped, hot-wired life. You get a little satisfaction from trying to make things fit on your own when ultimate joy and satisfaction is really only a prayer away. Trust Jesus as the one who has designed you and fitted you for joy. And when we get our lives in Christ, all the pieces fit. And there's pleasures we never saw and never dreamed of before in such greater measure. That's what the psalmist has realized. Whom have I in heaven? Who has designed me? Who's created me? Who's given me what I need? It's Christ, and it's Christ alone. And if we're going to pursue pleasure, we must pursue it from Him. Well, second, not only do we need to recognize we need God. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work apart from God. We need God for the joy He's designed. Second, then let's develop a delight in God. And that's what the psalmist does. Whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing. He puts his delight. I have you in heaven. I desire you. Develop a delight. Whom have we in heaven or earth but you? Um, you know, if the battery doesn't fit, we must develop joy in a way that does fit, that God designed for us. Basically, choose him. Choose him. You know, we make choices over and over and over. Choose to delight in God. You know, I have to do marriage counseling sometimes because of pornography is big now, because of affairs. And as you're working through pornography addictions and affair addictions, what's, what's wrong with that picture? Men and women, the problem is that you have chosen to delight yourself in a fantasy, in an image on the screen, or in someone else other than your spouse. You've chosen to spend time with them. And as you spend time with them, the more time you spend, whether it's mentally or physically, the more time you spend, the more delight it increases. You are developing more and more delight through more and more 
time. This is not rocket science. If you want to develop delight in God, you're going to get there by spending more and more time with God. It's the same way you develop delight in anything. So you must choose to say, I'm going to choose to spend time with God. I want to develop. I want to get to know Him. I want to see what He does, who He is. And the more and more time you spend with God, the greater your joy, the greater your delight. And you know how to do this. You spend time by reading His Word. You spend time by meditating on passages of Scripture. That's hearing God say, God, this is your voice. Make me happy. Help me to understand why you're saying these things to me. So you do that. You, you, you spend time with God by coming to church. Because in this arena right here in this venue, God speaks through his people. He gives you his spirit. He gives you gifts. It brings you closer to God than you can get on your own. Just seeing God in the midst of his people. You come to the Lord's table. It's a constant reminder that he died for you and he gave himself for you. And as, as you learn to delight in his sacrifice for you, it makes you delight more in him. It's, it's, it's the more time you give to this, the more joy you're going to have. It, it's developing a light, delight in God, his work, his time with you. So spend time with God. Develop that delight. Um, you cannot delight in God without Him. Duh. Right? So I just don't find much joy in God. Well, how much time are you spending with God? You cannot find delight in Him without Him. And I, and I share this in the marriage counseling. I said, how much time have you been spending with your spouse? How much time have you been spending fantasizing about your spouse? How much time have you been spending mentally with your spouse? If you had spent as much time on the affair, that with them as you did with the affair, you see, you wouldn't have a problem. You're choosing to delight in the wrong things, in the wrong places, and it's leading to death and destruction. The same way in our relationship with God, we choose all the time to decide how we're going to spend our time. Choose Things that enable you to spend time and time and time with God. Simple. Whom have I in heaven? It's you, God. I want to spend time with you. And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. So three, pursue the preference that you're going to desire him more than other things on earth or in heaven. There are other things. There are other things. You make choices all the time. You choose other things. He says, I, I, I'm, going to make a, I'm going to prefer God. Besides you, nothing's going, to, nothing's going to get my attention first or more. I'm going to prefer God. We all have to make choices. I remember the first time my wife and I, I can't remember if we were dating or already married, but uh, we decided to go to Baskin Robbins, and they, you know, they advertised 33 flavors of ice cream. And she was aghast at my choice. I'm thinking, what's wrong with my choice? They have 33 flavors, and I chose, guess what? Yeah, you got it. What's wrong with vanilla? It's one of the 33 choices. I choose vanilla because I like vanilla. Doesn't mean I don't like the others. That was just my preference at that time. You've got to make choices. Choose something that makes you happy. 
Now, what doesn't work, it was a fad for a while. I don't hear it as much now. Hopefully, it's died. But you would ask somebody, hey, what do you want to do? And the answer was, whatever. And my thought to that is, no. Not whatever. You don't get to choose whatever. Because some choices lead to death and destruction. You can't prefer things that are wrong. You must make good choices, wise choices. You must prefer that which will give you full joy and satisfaction. It's never whatever. It must be what will bring me ultimate happiness. And choose it. Prefer it over everything else in heaven and earth. And that's what the psalmist is doing. Beyond everything else on heaven and earth, God, I will choose and prefer you. That's where I know the fullness of joy is found. We must make choices. We must learn to prefer that which is pleasing to God. You, re- you remember, we start fixing to start the Olympics. You remember back in 1921 Olympics, the old Chariots of Fire movie. It's about two runners. And they tell you, they compare these runners all through the movie. And they, compare, they tell you why they are running. And Abram says he's running for himself. He's running for his family. He's running for his nation. He's running for his school. You know, good choices as far as he's concerned. Best choices. And then you have the other runner, Little, that says, I run to feel God's pleasure. So if you make the race on days that are Sabbath day when I should be worshiping or whatever, see, that's not going to work for me because I run. I make my choices to run to feel God's pleasure. He shows us his pursuit of pleasure and happiness. But he's doing it within the law of God, within the design that God has created him for. And that's what I'm I'm asking you to learn to prefer what is going to give you the most pleasure in God. You You don't throw out pleasure. But you begin to prefer what's most pleasing to him and finding that it's most satisfying to you. So you seek Him above all else. You realize you need Him for joy. You begin to develop delight in Him for joy. And then you pursue Him with all the passion and intensity and zeal God can give you for joy. And then the fourth thing the psalmist points out to us is this need to have support. You're not always going to be able to, to pull this off on your own. Verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever great understanding we're frail individuals we falter we're not going to always hold up we're going to get the stomach bug that's going around or we may get the flu or we're just going to be frail and fail sometimes he says when that happens and I just don't feel like making good choices and I'm not making good choices or whatever he says God's going to be there for me. And he's going to be the strength of my heart. If you have a Bible, you probably see a little marginal note for strength. And the reason is because strength literally in the Hebrew is the word rock. 
and I haven't seen any poets really pick up on this poetic phrase, but what, what the psalmist is saying there, God is the rock of my heart. And he's, he's given us this comparison that, that our hearts are essential organs that we need. That's, that's our life. And, but they're very frail. And even in our human bodies, they, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're encased with ribcage, with bones or whatever, to protect them because they're so vital. But he, he's using the illustration that God is, is, is stronger than that. God is this impenetrable, immovable substance that surrounds or is under our heart that gives it all the support it needs. So even though my heart is frail, it's supported, it's, it's, it's protected by Christ, my rock. God is, is that substance that's not going to let me ever go down or go under. I, I love it when Christ got to the end of his uh, time on earth and he's about to go to the, to the cross, the crucifixion. And he has this high priestly prayer in John 17. And, and one of the statements through that, that time with Christ in Gethsemane uh, that he makes to God the Father, he says, God the Father, every one that you gave me, I kept. I have not lost a one. Think about the passion of Christ for you, for me, for his church. He says, God, everyone that you give me to redeem, says, I don't lose a one. I love them, and I love them to the end. And nothing can snatch them out of my hand. And the psalmist is picking up that, that same point. He says, that God is my support. When I fail miserably, he's still there. He always supports me. I can't lose with God. I get joy, and it's multiplied joy, and I can't lose with God because it'll always be joy. Even in the midst of my trial and when I fail miserably, I still find I can look up in His joy. I have a God who wants to forgive and to cleanse and restore and take me to Himself. That's where the psalmist is. Just a beautiful thing to think about uh, Christ being our support and our comfort. Have you ever had times where you, you knew you were failing? Many of us probably have slept on the top bunk of two beds bunked together one time or climbed up there. You know, it's awkward the first time. You've not done this before. Getting off the top bunk, you either got to drop to the second bunk or you got to reach the first rung on the ladder. You can picture yourself, you know, trying to come off that bed and you have that awkward moment where your feet are just dangling. I don't like that. You know, I want something under my feet. I don't want to wonder, am I going to reach the rung? Am I going to reach the bed? Or am I just going to miss it and then fall back and bust something? That's life. There's times where we, we, we feel like we're dangling, that we don't know where we're going to come down. The psalmist says, I do. Christ is the strength of my heart. He's the anchor of my soul. He's the rock that's always there under me, supporting me, strengthening me, taking care of me, never losing me, always bringing me to the fullness of joy. How good it is to be in Christ. Hallelujah. It's so wonderful. So, go back to Edward's comments. It's impossible for anyone to pursue happiness with too much passion too much zeal, and too much intensity. Because in pursuing pleasure, you're ultimately 
and if you pursue it in the right places, you're ultimately pursuing Christ, who is the fullness of joy for his people. It's impossible to do that. So many people, you've been there, I've been there, you know people that are searching right now for pleasure. Some of you in this room, you're searching for pleasure, and you know it in wrong places. And I can tell you from experience, I can tell you from the Word, that well is going to run dry. And it's going to lead to death and destruction. But I can also tell you that I've drunk from the well that never runs dry. And I like it. And that's what I desire for you, is that you pursue Christ who never is depleted, never exhausted in the ability to provide pleasure and happiness and joy for his people. He's designed us for that, and he desires so much to give to us his very presence and the fullness of joy. So let us seek him. Let's pray together. Father, what a, what a joy it is that we have a God like you. Oh, Lord, let us just stop. Consider how wonderful, how gracious you really are. How you're willing to forgive us of all our sins and heal us of all our diseases. Who has a God like that? Lord, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. Lord, grant us this year a greater zeal and passion to prefer you and to pursue you and to find you to be our strength and our support and our joy forevermore. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.